everybody, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast. So excited to speak to our guest today, Kara Bradley. But before we get to the show, just wanted to thank you all for those of you who have put in your pre-orders for the Path Evolution. Pre-orders are going great. And if you haven't already, head on over to our website, path11productions.com or thepathseries.com, and go ahead and press order for the Path Evolution. It's going to be coming out in June. We're very excited to be taking that film around the United States to screen it this year. So we might even show up in one of your states and you guys can meet us in person for a Q&A. And the person that we're speaking with today is Kara Bradley, who is the author of On the Verge. She's a passionate teacher of yoga, meditation, and fitness, and she has been in the personal trenches of transformation as a mental strength coach for over three decades. She runs her own yoga center called Verge Yoga Center in Pennsylvania and also does corporate training sessions with teams such as Villanova University football and Penn State's men's basketball team. Kara wrote On the Verge for those who want more energy, enthusiasm, openness, and confidence. Her book calls readers to experience aliveness daily by shifting beyond our busy minds and into the present moment. We'd like to welcome her to our show today. Hi, April. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about your book, On the Verge. And you're originally from New York, is that right? I am. I was born in Brooklyn and then raised on Long Island, went to school in Manhattan. So I'm a, a true blood New Yorker. Yeah, so are we. So we have right. a little <laughs> shout out to our New Yorker authors here. Awesome. Um yeah, so I, I actually really enjoyed the book, and I, there's so much to get into in this interview here. And I would like you to just take our listeners through your journey, because you have a pretty exciting resume, and you kind of tease yourself a little bit in the book and mm-hmm. talk about how you were very much a let-me-do person, and you've run many different businesses, taught so many different classes, and then it's kind of brought you to where you are today. So maybe you can let our listeners know what your journey has been. Sure. Well, I start the book and I and I often start uh, the description of who I am based upon an experience I had when I was 19. I was a division one college track runner and I had an experience during my last race where I experienced myself in a place that was beyond thought. It was above doubt and fear. And it happened by accident. It happened because I knew it was my last race and I went off by myself to contemplate my 19 years of living. And I started to repeat to myself, uh, personal best, personal best a few times. And what happened was I had settled and calmed myself to the point where when I stepped onto the starting line, I felt vastly different than I had ever felt pre prior to a race. And so I had this experience where I beat my personal record by six seconds, which is ridiculous, crazy. And, um, at first I was really excited about it, but within a split second, I realized that I had been running my entire career without tapping my potential, without being able to recognize the strength and the confidence that I already had. So I studied that race for many years after trying to understand what happened to me. How did I get there? And how do I do it again and again on purpose in every area of my life? So I became what I call a human potential junkie. 
and there's a lot of us out there who look for experiences where we can go beyond thought, where we can tap into these strengths and intelligences that are underlying, that are below the level of all the static in our mind. And so I bungee jumped and I sat in sweat lodges and I walked on hot coals and did a bunch of crazy things to help wake me up to find that state again. And so for the last 30 years, I've been teaching people mostly through movement practices, but more recently through meditation practices, how to shift beyond your busy mind, how to rise above doubt and fear so that you can tap into and experience a state that is natural to all of us, that is already clear and bright and open and confident. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I got to where I am right now. Yeah. And, you know, for people who have never ran track before, understand six, six seconds, like you said, is huge in running. (laughs) Well, it's embarrassing, actually. (laughs) I mean, some people probably be happy if, you know, 30, 30, you know, maybe like, um, I'm thinking like in track and fields, I, I ran it for a couple of years in middle school and in high school too. And I know like if you can shave milliseconds off or even like, you know, a second is huge. It's, I mean, but six seconds. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Well, and what's so amazing about it is that for so long, and I had been running all through college, high school and college is that I had been running with carrying the baggage of fear and doubt with me. And I think a lot of us go through life like that, where we're just, we're kind of there, but we're not quite there. We never quite get to the point where we just, we kind of pull it from our guts and bring it to the table. And we all want to get there. And so it happened to me by accident, but now I know we can shine like that on purpose and we could do it whenever we need to. So that's really what I've dedicated my life to helping people do. Yeah. And you do a really nice job about describing and speaking about the busy mind. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will really be able to relate to it. So can you actually describe what the busy mind looks like. And, you know, then we can later go into some of the practices that you have in the book that, you know, are really simple and easy and very practical to do. But take take us through what the busy mind looks like. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I'd be happy to explain it because we all have it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and if we can all just recognize, you know, we're all walking around with a whole lot of mental clutter. And it's not solely our fault. It is cultural conditioning. It's what's happening with having so much technology available. So just to recognize that we're all walking around with busy, frenzied, cluttered minds, where we, in in many ways, I think it was Eckhart Tolle who said, you know, the mind is an instrument and used wisely. It's a, a tremendous tool. I mean, it's gotten us to where we are speaking, you know, via a a computer, uh, having an interview like this, but used wrongly or used inappropriately, it takes us over. And so for many, many of us, probably 99% of us, our busy mind has just taken us over from showing up for everyday life and experiencing life fully. So our busy mind, I use it just as a kind of catch-all phrase to 
describe the mental junk that just kind of wanders through our mind. Like I have to go to the post office. I have to go to the post office. I have to go to the post office, you know, that we, (laughs) we repeat over and over and over to the memories and stories that we create about our lives, to the plans and the fantasies, and also to also include the negative emotions that grip us, such as judgment, doubt, fear, anxiety, comparison, all that stuff. So it really is a catch-all to to symbolize anything that's keeping you from showing up fully present right here in this moment. And so if we can recognize, and this was huge for me. So years ago, I was in a yoga class and the yoga teacher who was also deep, deep in, into her meditation practice, she said, you know, um, the, the, the sages, the monks, the Buddhist meditation teachers, they all say that they can't go a few seconds without a thought. And that was like a huge light bulb to me. For me, I said, what do you mean? I thought I was supposed to stop thinking. And, you know, what I've since learned is that, you know, our minds just produce thoughts. It's what our minds do, like our nose smells and our ears hear. Our minds will always think it's really our relationship to thought that either blocks us from showing up fully or sets us free to, to shine, to, to access our potential. So I don't know if that, uh, that's uh, quick and dirty, but uh, feel free to let me know if you have questions. Yeah, absolutely. No, and um, I remember reading something uh, with the works of Louise Hay, where she was also talking about just trying to choose those thoughts to be more positive ones. You know, she's kind of like one of the gurus of the self-affirmations. And, you know, she kind of says it's just as easy to think a positive thought as it is a negative thought. So do you have any um, thing to say about that, that even though that there are these thoughts that we're having, even if we can begin to train our mind maybe to have more pleasant thoughts, whether we get wrapped up in the pleasant thoughts or the negative thoughts, but I would think a mind with more uh, positive thinking and talking more kindly to ourselves is a better, busier mind to have than Mm. a negative one. Oh, I like that. A better, busier mind. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's a great, great question. And I'm just going to take a step back before I answer that to say that meditation and mindfulness, you know, so much talk about mindfulness now, simply means to notice what we're doing, to pay attention on purpose, to recognize the thoughts that we're having. So the first step is really to start just noticing or asking yourself, where am I? Am I here? What am I thinking? Hmm. So we get really curious about stuff in life. Most of us have these natural interests and and curiosities about the way our computer works or the way our car works or the way, you know, our phone works, right? And we'll get really involved in the phone or in the computer or the car to, to understand how it operates. Well, mindfulness and meditation are really ways to start to really know how you operate. So the first step is just to start noticing your thoughts and noticing the emotions that pull you away. In noticing, we start to break down that mental habit and pattern that we've just built up over the years. Once we can start noticing, then then we can start to shift, perhaps to just relax in the moment. Or like you said, we can start to turn 
the way that we think or the way that we feel to a more positive direction. And the super exciting thing about this all, it's not just me telling that, telling you this or other teachers telling, you know, us all that, that these practices are helpful. It's that we now know through science that it works to change our brain. So by noticing over and over and over and over again, we get better at noticing by interrupting a negative emotion over and over and over again, it lays down new neural pathways. We actually change our physiology by training our mind. It's very cool. Yeah. And the more research that I'm doing and how I'm coming to understand it, it's, it's almost like all of these mindfulness teachers and the mindfulness movement and all that we're trying to teach people at this point is almost like strengthening the conscious, the conscious brain versus the subconscious brain, mm-hmm. you know, because the majority of what we do is so unconscious, subconsciously, you know, like driving, brushing our teeth, getting into the shower. I mean, so many things that we take for granted that we just wake up and do really without being very conscious or aware of it. Mm. Right. And, and I think I read somewhere that, you know, it's okay to have some of those kind of autonomic thoughts or actions, because if we had to pay attention to every single detail, we'd like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if we'd ever get anything done. But, but, but you're so right about that. The, the mindfulness practice is really about training our mind to show up in this moment and this moment and this moment. And so I call myself a mental strength coach. And that's kind of just a a name I gave myself because I work with a lot of college athletes, specifically at Villanova. And, um, and, and so instead of calling myself, you know, oh, the yoga teacher's coming in or the meditation teacher's coming in, I call myself a mental strength coach. And the way I train these athletes is to, to reinforce to them that our mind can be trained like a muscle. And so if we want to train our biceps, we pick up the dumbbell and we do repetitions. And then every once in a while we up our weight. Um, and that's how we get stronger. And we can do the same thing with our mind by noticing, 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 noticing. That's like a rep. It's like a repetition. The more you notice, the stronger you get. So we become these noticing machines, noticing when I'm not here, noticing when I'm in judgment, noticing when, ah, I think I'm here, you know? So this is the whole, the whole idea of of, of strengthening our capacity, like you said, training our mind, getting stronger. Yeah. Now, when you're working with the athletes, are you bringing them through certain guided meditations or, or um, kind of coaching them in a meditative state to see them performing at optimal level, uh, you know, maybe being very agile in their sport that they're playing? Which team at Villanova is it again? So I've been working with the football team, the football team for 12 yeah. years, but I also work with the basketball team. So I'm really excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and is, is that part of what you're doing with them is, you know, the mental conditioning or maybe even taking them through, um, you know, a state of hypnosis to like see themselves making, making the shot or see themselves taking the tackle or, you know, just having, you know, great eyesight either on the court or on the field to have optimal performance. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So what I don't do with them is visualization. It's just not my, it's not my expertise, but what I do do with them through simple yoga practices, and they're really very simple practices because these guys are big. I mean, some of these guys and, and being elite athletes, a lot of them are, are, of different shapes and sizes and have different issues all the time. So the yoga practice I move them through is super simple, but challenging. And during the yoga practice, I'm speaking directly to their mind and I'm asking them to notice and get to know and become intimate with fear, with doubt, with judgment, when they try to run away, when they're forcing or pushing. So we start to get really familiar with what it means to be composed in the fire. So I hold them in a challenging pose and I make them stay and watch themselves. And in watching themselves in noticing they're getting mentally stronger and they start to change their patterns. It's a really incredible work. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And this might be a nice bridge into one of the chapters in your book where you talk about active versus passive attention. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, yeah it's, it's great. And it's so simple. And this isn't something I made up. It's, you know, nothing in this book is anything I've made up. Actually, it's all very much common sense that we, we already know. So there are two ways that we, we arrive in each moment, right? We're either actively engaged, like right now you and I are having this conversation, you know, I'm focused just on you. I don't have anything else around me, beeping, buzzing. And so I'm very actively aware of how we're speaking to each other, what you're asking, what I'm saying. And then there's also being passively aware. And a lot of us spend a lot of our day passively aware, so we're driving home from work and we drive up to our house and we're like, how did I just get here? <laughs> I don't remember driving or we're halfway through our dinner and we don't even remember eating or someone's talking to us and you know we have to stop them and ask them to repeat themselves. So our minds are so often just sort of here. And what happens when we're sort of here is that we sort of experience life. And we sort of tap into all of the strength and capacities that we have. So when I was running track, I was sort of, most of the time I was sort of in the race and sort of like bogged down by fear and sort of anxious and sort of thinking about who was passing me, right? But that day when I beat my personal record, I was very much actively aware. I remember it very vividly. And so what I talk about in the book is just starting to notice again, that word when you're passive and when you notice when you're passive, you automatically immediately become engaged. Hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that are, you know, working on doing this for themselves, that's kind of the whole purpose of it, you know, mm-hmm. to be, and, and it, it's hard to like put into words, but the experience of really being active in the moment really is a feeling and a sensation that's mm-hmm. hard to put into words. It just always seems to feel so good, I guess, is the oh. best way, you know, you just that, feel very, very alive. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is the whole point. And that's really the whole point of the book 
is that at the end of the day, we all just want to feel awake and alive in our lives in this moment. And so when we can continue to learn to show up, what I call on the verge in this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment, we just, we feel more bright, awake, clear. We're naturally that way. And so like you said, it's very much a visceral feeling. It's not easy to put into words. And so what I offer in, in my writing and in my teaching is, is the possibility that if you start to recognize moments when you are already actively awake in your life, start to notice them because they're happening. It's those moments between thoughts. It's those moments when you're driving down the road and you're at a red light and you look up and you see the brilliant sunset. And for a moment, time stands still, or you meet someone's gaze. You know, you pause to take the sip of coffee and taste it. These moments are happening already. When we start to notice them more often, it's like when you go to buy a new car, type of car, and then all of a sudden you see them everywhere. You're going to start realizing you're more awake than you realize. And this is really exciting. It's a great, great time to be alive when you start recognizing this, this aliveness in you. Yeah, I agree. And there's also a very touching part um, in the book of a story that you shared, and I think it's your chapter on the open heart and the experience that you went through with your friends whose mm. son had went missing yes. um, and you know, later found out that he had taken his own life and yeah. about how alive you really kind of felt in that moment. Can you, mm. Would you be willing to share that story? Of course, bit? of okay. course. It was um, last March and I was in the middle of writing my book. And uh, this very good friends of ours, we've known them for 25 years, actually met on Fire Island, all of us during a summer. And um, their son had gone missing, 13-year-old Cayman. And we were the first responders. My husband and I went right over to their home and it was during a snowstorm. And for four days, um, people, thousands of people in our community out here on the main line outside of Philadelphia were searching for him. And, um, I stood by my friend, uh, Becky's side. I didn't do any of the searching. I didn't do any of the cooking. I did nothing but stand by her side because that was where I felt like I was most needed. And, um, later, you know, they found that Cayman had taken his life. And the week after we gathered, it was almost like a, the big chill. If you remember that movie, uh, in their home for a full week with, close friends hanging out and, and all of us, uh, all of us had the same description of that experience of being together in that really traumatic, tragic situation is that we all felt so incredibly alive and present. And what I recognized, and it actually shifted my book. It, I, I just put my pen down and I sat with it for a few weeks because it was so intense. And what I realized is that being alive doesn't mean all bows and ribbons. You know, it doesn't mean everything's going to always work out in your favor, or you're always going to like the moment that you're in. Being alive really means to be available for life, to 
to show up in the center of the moment, no matter what's happening, because this is, this is our life. This is my life. This is my precious, precious life. And if all I do is try to push away the bad, I'm going to miss out on a whole lot of human experience. And so that is, um, you know, the open heart that I talk about this natural sense of being open and available is, is an opportunity for us just to show up for each other, for life, for any situation, any circumstance. It's, it's really profound. Changed my life completely. Yeah. I've always said too, that there's something, you know, unique when death kind of affects your life in some way, whether it's tragic, where, whether it's somebody that has, is really old and passed away, but there's something when it personally touches you, it just feels like there's that, that moment that if people aren't living a more awake life per se, or maybe in these types of practices or taking yoga or meditation, that it almost puts the brakes on life and wakes people up. You know, so many people will say, well, it really put things in perspective for me or, you know, all the stuff that they were worrying about beforehand, all of a sudden, none of that really mattered. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That's such a great way to put it. It puts things into perspective. And many people do feel this sense of time standing still when a baby's born, when someone dies during these big moments. I mean, if we go back and we think about 9-11, I mean, that was like a week or two weeks of just this profound stillness that we all experienced. Um, and here's the, here's the amazing thing is that that sense of stillness and space is available to us every moment. I mean, this is what, you know, the, the great masters have been teaching for thousands of years that in this moment, when we can just be in it fully, it feels spacious. It feels this peace, even though there may be tragedy all around us, we can feel this incredible relief or sense of ease and peace. It, I mean, it's, it's intriguing enough and it was intriguing enough for me at 19 when I felt it first that profoundly to spend the rest of my life, um, curious about how to live from that place. And you also speak about um, the four verge practices, and maybe we could go through those a little bit. Um, I have in my notes here about noticing this moment, moving your body, meeting the mind, and notes to self. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm going to say first, because I always forget to mention this, is that all the practices are on my app that is named On The Verge, just like the book. Um, I created an app a free app for, as a support to all the practices that I offer in the book, because I know that, and I've done it many times where you read a book and there are practices and you're like, okay, yeah, these are nice. (laughs) Then you just (laughs) kind of keep reading. But I feel strongly enough that these simple practices are, can really help us shift beyond our busy mind that I created an app for them. So So if you're listening and intrigued, please download it called On the Verge. And so the practices, the Verge practices are simple, easy ways to start to recognize your busy mind and to shift beyond it, to recognize when you're shutting down and to show up for life, 
right? To recognize when you're overthinking and to let that go and to arrive. And so there are a bunch of different, I call them primer practices, which are mindfulness-based practices, all really short, five, 10 minutes, if that, um, such as, um, and this falls under the notice this moment, which are the mindfulness practices, such as sky gazing. It's one of my favorite. And I, I didn't make up most of these practices. I've just kind of um, redefined them in a, in a simpler way, perhaps. So sky gazing can be done so simply, you know, you're on a train or you're in your car. Well, maybe not driving, but um, laying down outside on the grass and just looking up at the sky and pausing and taking five or 10 breaths And with each exhale, you just kind of let your exhale go out up into the vast sky. And just imagining every exhale, just letting go into the sky. Night sky, cloudy sky, doesn't matter. And so a simple way to recognize where you're at, a simple way to practice just showing up, just being here. And that this is how we retrain our brain. Just like I said before, it's, it's training the mental muscle to show up on purpose over and over again. So that's the notice this moment one. And I can go through them all if you'd like me to. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, that would be great. Sure, absolutely. So the second practice called move my body is just that, right? Moving your body as a way to become familiar with your mind. So we've got great practices, ancient practices like yoga and Qigong, but there's also really simple ways to move your body in a rhythm and using your body in a rhythm, moving such as running or swimming, walking, hiking, rowing, moving your body in a rhythm can help you to steady your mind and calm your nervous system so that you see more clearly. I call it synchronizing mind and body through breath and movement. So in yoga practice, through in a flow practice, vinyasa, you're moving and breathing in this delightful rhythm, right? When you're walking, if you're just walking at a nice pace, you're, you end up breathing and walking in a rhythm. And this helps you to settle your mind and calm your nervous system. And it can be a moving meditation. And so that's moving your body. So I'm just offering up a way to use your workouts or just simple exercise as a way to help you show up for your life more fully. And then there's meet my mind, which is meditation. So mindfulness-based meditation is sitting down, closing your eyes, coming into stillness, Noticing your breath, continuing to notice your breath. And then when you notice yourself wander, you bring yourself back to your breath. And in doing this very simple technique, it helps you to synchronize your mind and your body again through this stillness and this breath. So all of this stuff is just getting to know your busy mind and understanding what it feels like to be beyond thinking and doing and worrying and judging. And so the last practice called notes to self comes back to what you were talking about earlier on, which is how do we change our thinking from 
negative to positive or doesn't want, won't that help like Louise Hay teaches and so many others teach. So notes to self is a way of becoming familiar with your internal dialogue with the little words that you're saying to yourself. How do you talk to yourself and to start shifting that from being negative or judgmental to starting to help interrupt those patterns by offering yourself a reminder to be here or an intention to show up or, or an inquiry. I love questions. Where am I right now? Am I here? Can I show up? These gentle questions aren't judgmental. They're just an inquiry to see where, where am I? Can I be here? And so those are the four practices and they're offered in the book in various different ways. And then again, on the app, uh, on the verge. Yeah. And the book is really nice for people who like to journal. I mean, that's what I really enjoyed about the book too. You know, after each section and stuff, you have little places where you actually give the meditation practice, like the example that you just recently gave about looking up at the sky, uh, meditation, all the meditations that you have in there are very short, they're concise. And I think that this is a book that readers will really enjoy for those who like to write into books or like to be given questions to think about and journal, you have examples right there in many sections of the book where you elicit questions and you're looking for the reader to write down a response. So I found that to be really helpful and really enjoyed that portion of it. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I mean, it was very intentional about making it accessible to people, not too much, but not too little either, because the bottom line is if we want to make changes, if we want to feel more alive, more awake, more engaged in our lives, we're going to have to really look at what we're doing and just get really honest. And so I have these gut checks throughout the book, you know, in my new kind of New York way, you know, it's a little poking and prodding to say, come on, come on, let's fess up. (laughs) (laughs) You got to fess up. Like this isn't all about just, you know, positive affirmations. Honestly, we have to really look at what we've been doing. And so that's, that's what I provide. Awesome. Now with, you know, your book coming out, are you still running your yoga center and teaching meditation and all that? Are you taking a break and going to do a little book tour and book signing or what are your plans? Oh, thanks for asking that question. (laughs) Well, the book is out. So it was out in early April. um, And I have been doing uh, uh, a book tour, but I am also running my yoga center, Verge Yoga, um, outside of Philadelphia. And so uh, I have to continue to teach. I mean, for me, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching my whole life and the teaching grounds me. It keeps me present so that I don't get caught up in all the uh, administration and nonsense that often goes on with uh, launching a project like this. So I am continuing to teach, but I am going to be coming through the New York area um, a couple of times over the next few months and uh, doing talks, teaching yoga, teaching meditation here and there. So it's exciting. It's exciting. But you know what? Being an author these days, I mean, it really is an author is a slash entrepreneur. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be willing to stick your neck out there and speak wherever you can and, and get the word out because there's, there's a lot, there are a lot of books out there. And, uh, if you want to, 
if you want to make any noise and get people to notice you, you got to really lean in. Absolutely. And I'm sure your book is going to land into the right laps of the right people or the right Kindles or, (laughs) you know, the right phones on the app. It's, you know, it's amazing. I think about that too, about how many books are out there and how come there's certain ones that I choose or ones that speak to me or that wind up in my place. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing how different authors will reach the right people and Mm. they need to at the right time. Yeah, that that's a great point. I made a I made a commitment to myself to not get caught up in numbers, you know, because it can be really daunting when you look on Amazon and <laughs> you see that you're, you know, you're the eight you're on number eight thousand or something. Um, but to really trust that if I continue to to just reach out to people, that those those who are ready for the book will will find it. Yeah. And we have really awesome, wonderful, dedicated listeners to our podcast too. So, you know, I'm excited and know that obviously you were meant to touch their lives as well and for them to hear about this. So we thank you so much for coming on our show. And would you also like to let people know just some more information about where they can find the book and your website and anything else that we can help you promote? Yes, absolutely. So the book's available everywhere. Uh, and there is an, also an audio book that I recorded. Um, my website is www.carabradley, and that's Kara with a C, carabradley.net, not com, dot net. And uh, lots of information there about a lot of the stuff that I'm doing and where I'm going to be. And then again, the On The Verge app on iTunes now and coming soon for Android. Um free app with loads of practices and will really support you in reading the book. Or if you want to just download the app, that's fine too. So, um, and, and so that, that's about it. That's the information that, uh, you can get everything from my, from my website. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We wish you a lot of luck with your book. Thank you. Thank you for having me, April. Take care. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.